Hello everybody and welcome to this extra wiki episode of Dame Baptiste Questions Everything or We're Calling DBQs. On DBQs, myself, comedian, writer and occasional actor and also podcast host Dame Baptiste alongside, in the absence of my producer friends Saffron and Howard, alongside our producer friend for this week Charlotte Mason, we're going to be delving into some of the things that have happened not in just this week's news but in the collective consciousness of social media. This week, we want to do something special for you. I am going to look at some of the most prominent and personal opinions on social media right now, and I'm going to question the source of those opinions because I feel like people seem to be questioning their reality, and I want to be involved in in questioning because this podcast is about questioning everything. So my producer friend Charlotte is going to give me some of the more pertinent opinions and more of the more prolific opinions of the internet, and we're going to find out if I can question them or not. Thanks for having me, Dane. It's a pleasure. How are you? Very well, thank you. Very excited to be joining you on this special episode of DBQs. It's a pleasure to be having you. And uh, it's been a while since we've been able to have you. But if people don't know, uh, Charlotte frequently works alongside us helping to produce the podcast. And I've asked her to do me a solid favour while Saffron and Howard are not available to help me question the mindset and the zeitgeist of social media today. So Charlotte, if you are happy to delve into this, then we will go ahead. I want to make sure I remind everybody uh, as a public service announcement that reading comments and reading opinions on social media doesn't really carry a lot of weight, people. If you ever went to a school and saw uh, a school desk and what people write on school desks or been to a public toilet and nightclub and seen what people write on cubicle walls, then you'll have an idea of how social media works. If social media is a stream of human consciousness, then social media apps and the comments on them are definitely the reservoirs and the sewer, which means a lot of these opinions may contain traces of shit. They are only opinions. Everyone's got one, just like an asshole. And assholes contain traces of shit. So now we have that context, everybody. Sit back and enjoy. Charlotte, I'm ready to hear the opinions of the internet. Thank you, Dane. Let's start with a lighter one, shall we? Uh, Number one, pineapples do belong on pizza. Pineapples do belong on pizza. Now, I don't know who said this. I don't want to know. You should be on some kind of register, maybe a culinary offenders register. But my question is, what's wrong with you? Now, I'm sure most people know that when you see a pineapple appearing on a pizza, it normally appears alongside its uh, Cody uh, ham and forms the pizza, notated as a as a Hawaiian pizza, which I've never understood, Charlotte, because if you think about it, if you put pieces of ham in a fruit salad, that doesn't make it a Hawaiian, does it? But for some reason, if you put those pineapples on a pizza, it becomes a Hawaiian. Do Hawaiian people even like pizza? I feel like just like colonialism in the English language, it was something that was forced upon them. I've uh, never met a Hawaiian who said, well, you know, I like pokeballs, but my true love is really pizza. Pineapple, I mean, I'm not saying that it doesn't necessarily work, but if we were to be strictly honest with ourselves, like I don't think pineapples are even native to uh, Italy. Italy is really known for citrus groves. And I know for a fact that orange and lemon and lime definitely doesn't go on a pizza because then that would be like a five alive pizza. And that sounds fucking disgusting. So uh, I'm not sure how pineapple features in there. I don't know who even discovered it. It really just seems like, you know, very early Shrove Tuesday, when people would put anything into a pancake before we ever to streamline and organize, and people would put like potato and peas pudding or whatever they could find in their Dickensian dystopia of a fridge, and they would stick it on a pancake. Whereas we are a bit more of a evolved and somewhat more sophisticated society, I think we've arrived at a point where we no longer need to have pineapple on pizzas, and 
there is no way you could tell me it belongs on a pizza at all. Because then when does it stop? Because pineapple also goes on to ham. I've had pineapple salsa before with tacos. That seemed okay because, you know, it was offsetting the delicious spiciness of the chili peppers that were also added to that particular salsa. But that made a lot more sense. They had a lot more, it was a lot more tropical. I really feel like pineapple is a tropical fruit and tropical climates don't tend to have ovens very often. Or they might have ovens, but they're like outdoor ovens, which I guess, you know, some people make pizzas in those like stone ovens. But I feel like people, and I do feel like people who do have stone ovens probably have good access to pineapple because they're able to travel to more tropical climates. But nonetheless, I am someone who can be very conservative when it comes to food. I don't believe that pineapple belongs on pizza because the juices get into the dough. Then you've got pineapple and tomato sauce. Never the twain shall meet. I mean, the fact is, we know tomatoes are fruit, but you never see it in milkshakes or pies, but you'll find tomato on a pizza despite it being a fruit. Is that not fruit enough for you people? A good 50% of pizzas are fruit in the first place. And you can consider committing more atrocities by adding pineapple. You know now you can get what's called white pizza, where it basically means that it's a pizza without the sauce and it's just a cheese. I just think it should just be called a cheese pizza. Why does it have to be called a white pizza? Do you ever wonder about that? That pizza, when it's got pineapple, you know, the fruits that come from places like the Caribbean, it's not called a Caribbean, it's called a Hawaiian, but you can call it white pizza if there's no tomato sauce. Mm. In any case... My question to that person is, what's wrong with you and your taste buds? Can't you just have dinner and dessert separately? Jesus Christ. Or whoever you follow. Love that, Dane. Right, let's get a slightly <laughs> more serious. Not that that wasn't serious, but the next one. Oscar-nominated films, for the most part, are boring as hell to the general public. Oh, this is a tough one. I think uh, there may, is there validity in that? I guess the question is, what film did this person see that met them, made them feel that way? Because I don't think that is entirely true. Uh, Moonlight uh, won an Oscar, and I really enjoyed Moonlight. I think it was made excellently. Um, yeah, and it was a really good film. Whereas, I'll be honest, I wasn't that keen on La La Land. It's not that I'm completely adverse to musicals. I've even seen Grease too. I want people to know. And I watched Showgirls, like, twice. And I even saw it live. So I'm not opposed to like, you know, Oscar nominated films. Nomadland was also very good. But I guess the idea is that most Oscar nominated films do not have the same level of ubiquity and broad appeal as blockbuster films, which normally necessitate 3D glasses or popcorn or purchasing merchandise, like, you know, a lot of the vehicles we've seen from the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, I would say that, you know, I understand that it annoys some people, but we really need to look at the kind of people that are saying it. Like, if you're the kind of person who says stuff like, I can't watch films without subtitles, then maybe certain films aren't for you, and you probably shouldn't be volunteering an opinion about cinema if being able to concentrate on subtitles is something that's way too difficult for you. Or if you are somebody who has to watch a film and you need to have a sequel or a particular soundtrack or a recognisable actor then I am very sure, yes, that most Oscar-nominated films will not be for you. I guess the idea with a lot of these films is that uh, the Oscar panels are formed of people who have been, who have been, had an integral place within the industry or uh, sought for their insight or for their more, I guess, experienced critique when it comes to cinema. 
And as a result of which, these people tend to gravitate towards a lot more, be considered a lot more nuanced or original or maybe more out how art house formats when it comes to cinema, which tend to not have necessarily that broad appeal until maybe years later when that genre or that theme is uh, replicated or diluted for a broader audience. I would definitely say that for a lot of Oscar films, yeah, some of them can be uh, boring and nonsensical, but then, you know, the idea that all cinema should follow a particular pattern is not in order to have a mainstream success isn't necessarily a healthy thing because I think what's definitely happened, particularly within the Western film industry, is that because there has been a prioritization of capital over art, We've seen movie studios and the industry as a whole become a lot more uh, risk adverse and seeing the explosion of the success of the Marvel Cinematic Universe has led to this weird scramble where everybody and their mum and dad or however your guardian chooses to identify has run around trying to buy up screenplays and scripts and continuing this ongoing, to an extent, I guess, exploitation of intellectual properties from the world of comics and graphic novels ad nauseum to the point where... I would definitely say now we have an issue of saturation where we have a Marvel Cinematic Universe, we have a DC expanded universe, which is just the same thing, but with like Batman and Superman. And there just seems to be a scramble to try to find as many of uh, these formats to adapt into TV series or box sets or films as possible. And I think as someone who's definitely a comic book fan, it's begun to cheapen the whole format again. And it's kind of being done by numbers. And I definitely remember the bad old days of comic book adaptations where we used to be so uptight about how this would be represented on this silver screen. It was like the more obscure and less known the character was, the happier you were because it was less likely that Hollywood would be able to fuck it up. Or so we thought. And then they let Ben Affleck be Daredevil. And then after that, he got to be Batman. So clearly some people don't learn. But um, yeah, by that same token, I really feel like it's quite a sweeping judgment to say that like most Oscar-nominated films are quite boring. Don't get me wrong. A lot of these institutions have always historically been very nepotistic, in many cases, very racist and elitist and cliquey. And that could be one of the reasons why a lot of the selections you see... Uh, from Hollywood's uh, selection at the Oscars don't tend to resonate with people at large. For example, the film Birdman with Michael Keaton and I think Ed Norton, which was actually a good film, but I definitely understand that a lot of the themes and a lot of the aesthetics and even the nomenclature used would only resonate with you if you are au fait with the entertainment industry and what happens behind the scenes. And I think now that we see a lot more transparency in our media, films like that will probably resonate with people a lot more than they used to. But I think um, the maybe the decline of cinema is happening at the same time that uh, the democratization of digital media is continuing to proliferate and people have a lot more control over the content they put out. People are able to, you know, create their own formats and put those out. And this is happening, I think, at the same time that Hollywood is beginning to scrape the barrel for nostalgia, basically trying to reanimate and reinvigorate it's previously held intellectual properties in order to make more money out of them. And yeah, I think it's definitely making for a much more stale industry. Um, but that being said, if you are someone who is trying to find good Oscar-nominated films, there have been some very good ones in recent uh, history. And I always think, you know, a good film is one that probably doesn't require a uh, popcorn-oriented franchise or a sequel in order to squeeze more money out of people. A good example of that would be Moonlight, uh, Three Billboards Outside of Missouri, 
uh, Nomadland. If you haven't seen those, take a watch of those and how they very accurately uh, capture uh, the current uh, landscape of the West. And um, yeah, just tell very good, heartfelt, very uh, stories with a lot of depth. So whoever you are, like, don't be a philistine, calm down. But or I would recommend Korean cinema because Parasite, that was my shit. We'll be back after this. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Life is made up of many gorgeous moments. Cherish them all, big and small, with Blue Nile. Whether it's for yourself or a loved one, Blue Nile's unrivaled selection of expertly crafted fine jewelry and statement pieces help make all your moments sparkle. Blue Nile's experts are on hand to guide you, and their diamond guarantee ensures you get the highest quality at the best price. Celebrate a life well-lived in the most radiant way and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome back to the show. Okay, let's go a little bit lighter for our second to last one. Mm-hmm. Sourdough bread is overrated. <laughs> is sourdough bread overrated? Let me ask a question of the, whoever has this opinion. Are you currently living in a part of London that has been recently gentrified? If you are, you may be experiencing an influx in sourdough bread. And I can understand maybe why some people feel like it's overrated. To be honest with you, I am inclined to kind of agree to a slight extent. I've had sourdough bread and I've enjoyed it, but there are a lot of elements to sourdough bread that I don't understand that people find really delicious. Like if you are someone who has lived within zones from zones one to four, at some point you have either tried or been witness to someone trying or joined someone as they're trying something like smashed avocado. And what tends to happen is that smashed avocado is normally spread upon sourdough bread. And normally it's prepared depending on the kind of cafe or a brunch spot you go to where it will maybe drizzle with olive oil and then it will be very briefly uh, shallow grilled on a griddle. And um, yeah, man, I have to ask, like, why is that better than toast? You know, I've tried sourdough bread from a number of uh, reputable establishments, but then very recently I tried some uh, toasty toast, which I believe was from Warburton, but I can't really uh, confirm that because they haven't paid me. And until you do Warburton, I can't be celebrating your breads. But I just tried some regular toasty bread and that was just as good, if not superior, to uh, sourdough. But I think the uh, issue when it comes to the, um, I suppose, the quality and the respectability of bread comes down to one of two things. It will, it's Well, it's either, you know, a use of flour or gluten, because gluten intolerance is definitely real in 21st century, uh, the 21st century Western Hemisphere. Um so that would be one issue. And I guess the other issue would definitely be marketing because I remember when uh, I was a kid growing up in the 80s and the best bread that we all knew was Mighty White. And now I am older with uh, more with the wisdom of experience. I can let you know now that's a real fucking mediocre type of bread, to be honest with you. I mean, I believe at one point being in the States, 
I tried Wonder Bread thinking it was good. Wonder Bread is anything but wonderful. But yeah, I think sourdough basically uh, could be a part of a very subversive plan. You can call me a conspiracy theorist where maybe some of the elements required to make sourdough bread are cheaper to import than or cheaper to create than uh, other types of bread or other types of dough. And as a result, um, it's being marketed in order for people to realize maximum uh, profits, like in the same way that at one point, uh, importing Scandinavian ciders was one of the cheaper alcohols in this country to import. And then all of a sudden, everyone was like, yeah, let's drink cider outside. Yeah, it's summery and fresh air. Uh, strawberry and lime. First of all, I was thought cider was made from apples and pears. What the fuck does strawberry and lime even come into it? Like, that's not a thing. Also, let's be honest. Because people started enjoying these flavoured ciders and these funky Scandinavian ciders, it became somewhat of a middle-class treat. But we all know the working class made drinking cider outside popular. I mean, popular is probably the wrong word to use, but we all know that way before people started drinking Recorderlig and all these other types, people were drinking White Lightning in parks since time immemorial. That being said, I'm not sure if people know this, but White Lightning and I think maybe even Ace, is a cider made from onions. That's right. That bottle of cider is made from onions. And that might sound disgusting, but you know what sounds worse? People who put pineapple on fucking pizza. I would much rather have onion on pizza. That's much more normal. But I'm digressing. Is sourdough bread overrated? I mean, I definitely see some validity to it. But I guess with any uh, accoutrement to your breakfast... It's how it interacts with the other elements on your plate. Like if you have soft scrambled eggs that are particularly runny, then maybe a hard bit of grilled sourdough bread complements that perfectly and you get a good combination of te textures. I don't know. I'm not really a chef. I just be cooking sometimes. But as far as uh, breads go, sourdough, I probably it's probably safe to say, yeah, it's kind of overrated, but there are worse breads out there. Like for example, when I, your favorite podcast host, took an exchange trip to a lovely place called Aachen in Germany. And I was introduced by my exchange colleague's mother to a type of bread which is called Svartbrot, which directly translated in German means black bread. And it is kind of a sourdough bread. Now, I pride myself on being a good guest and trying to be as polite and cordial as possible. But upon tasting Svartbrot, I was not able to maintain my composure and immediately regurgitated that as quickly as it went past my gums. Uh, maybe much to the dismay of my hosts, but I couldn't hide how it tasted. It was like somebody was making sourdough bread and somebody walked in the kitchen and was like, you know what would make this better? What if we took cow's urine and put that in the toast? How would that taste? And the answer is Svartbrot, I think. So to summarize, is there much to question about the opinion of sourdough bread? I would say not really. I feel like sourdough might be slightly overrated, but that's only because I'm more than aware, as someone who's a big fan of bread, of uh, alternate options available to you. Uh, you know, crumpets are always still good. Muffins, both types of muffins. The muffins you can put in toasters and the ones that have blueberries in it or chocolate chips in them as well. I mean, I can't have that for breakfast. I'll go absolutely fucking mental. Croissants are always good. Pan chocolats. If you're in the States, bear claws or crullers. I think, yes. Is it fair to say that sourdough bread is overrated? I think so, but that is only on the basis of the fact that there are so many other types of bread available to start off your breakfast right. Might I also recommend, in particular, uh, Jamaican 
hado bread and Nigerian egege bread, or just Caribbean bread in general. Absolutely delicious. Never limit your palate where bread is concerned to allow something like sourdough toast to get you down. I can hear the passion. (laughs) And the last one out of these comments that you've received, if the descendants of white people owe us reparations, then so do the descendants of some Africans as West African leaders. Yes, it's an interesting point. For those who are not aware, there are some detractors, irrespective of their race, who uh, tend to use the rebuttal when we discuss the Middle Passage and chattel slavery by saying that their African leaders um, sold their own people into slavery. And as a result of which, the uh, accountability for the perpetuation of uh, chattel slavery uh, does not, the blame of that does not lie alone with uh, people within the Northern Hemisphere or Western Europeans. Now, I want to start off by saying, shut the fuck up. That's bullshit for two reasons. And that also includes Bob Geldof, who uh, also has alluded to the fact that uh, African leaders sold their own people into slavery. First of all, you live in a country which is has a law called joint enterprise. That means if you hold someone's arm when they're assaulted or stabbed, you are also an accessory to that crime. In the same way that if you drive a car and you park it outside a bank, and if people in the back of your car go inside and rob that bank, you're also an accessory to the crime. So even if West African leaders did sell people into slavery, if you took those slaves, you are equally culpable. So the level of accountability does not change, first of all. Second of all, it's pretty much a subversive white supremacist tactic to try and reduce the role of accountability within chattel slavery by implicating West African leaders. Even though most people, even if put a gun to their head, could not name one West African leader that was involved. Now, that's not to say that there weren't some leaders in places like Bahomey or certain parts of the, the state, which is now called Nigeria, who would not uh, observe these practices. But it's, uh, there's a lot more nuance to that than people are uh, trying to infer. And people are definitely trying to simplify by saying, well, you know, Africans also sold themselves to slavery. Slavery takes on many forms because this is a country where I would say that most indigenous English people who are to be quite honest, I'm not indigenous because English people are a mixture of Normans and Celts and Picts as well as uh, Saxonic tribes. But I digress. The point is that we have a system in this country which was feudalism. And feudalism meant that the landed gentry and the nobility would own all the land and most people who are today would be considered working class would be referred to as peasants and you would either have to work on that land or provide some kind of value or assistance to feudal lords and their vassals in order for you to be able to live on this land and be able to eke out quite a meager existence prior to agrarian reforms. But what that also means is that was a form of slavery. In fact, the etymology of the word slave actually uh, originates from Slav because a lot of the initial indentured servants that were brought to the west western part of Europe would have been Slavic or Indo-European uh, tribes members or nomadic peoples that ended up being indentured servants. Very much in the same way that on the continent, people who would have been prisoners of war or would have been on the losing sides of skirmishes and battles may have become indentured servants and been involved in the reconstruction of nations of which they had initially had hostilities with. I say all that to say this, that chattel slavery is a very nuanced form of uh, bondage compared to the aforementioned types of slavery in that the etymology of the word chattel comes from the fact that the justification for the enslavement of continental Africans came from a scientifically racist idea or pseudo-scientific idea that 
Africans, who today we call black people, and we're prior to that we were called Negroes or colored people, were subhuman and was even written into laws that they were three-fifths of a human being. The difference between chattel slavery and other forms of indentured servitude is that these other forms have ended and they have had compensation, whereas the ongoing narrative for continental Africans was that because by the merit of being born as an African or black person, you are predisposed to be a slave. This was the same pseudoscientific uh, programming and I suppose propaganda that was used during apartheid and was based on something called the Hermetic Principle, where uh, the South African government, based on a Bible scripture in uh, Genesis, had said that Noah had three sons, uh, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And at one point, Noah became very drunk and was acting decently and was naked. And his son, Ham, saw him and Noah cursed him by saying, you and your descendants will be slaves to your brothers. Now, first of all, why we're taking anything that a drunk person says seriously, I do not know. Second of all, that led to the other ridiculous notion that uh, all black people are descended from Ham because his people were the Canaanites. Now, first of all, most people in this part of the world and most Western Europeans do not follow the ideas or the tenets of the Bible by the letter. Second of all, we are more than aware of genealogy and speciation and evolution and just biological science in general for us to know that white people or people that are regarded as white cannot make black people. So how Shem, Ham and Japheth would have been direct brothers, I do not know. But I don't want to digress too much. The point is that if there's going to be reparations that are also going to be given to the victims of chattel slavery from West African leaders as well, that's fine with me. The point is not about, you know, how much they're supposed to give. It's the fact that there is equal culpability. So if the idea is that, the, I guess the idea of this is to try and to quell the voices of the descendants of chattel slavery who are seeking reparations by saying, yeah, but some black people did it too. Well, first of all, if you're doing it because black people did, it means that you've been doing cultural appropriation for over 400 years. So fuck you. And second of all, whether or not they were also implicated does not necessarily mean that you are off the hook. But what we really know is that it was not exactly the same. And in many cases, a lot of these leaders that sold the people to slavery had to do so under duress because the pressure they received from European powers is either we take them or we take you. And the other point would be that I'm very sure that most people were not aware of what they were selling people into because it wasn't like there'd be an opportunity for the slaves to write back home and be like, dear former leader, what have you done to me? I want revenge. But essentially, the point I want to make very clear is the establishment of the Middle Passage and chattel slavery was unlike any form of servitude that we had seen before because it was predicated on the idea that it is acceptable because the people that are being enslaved are subhuman, which also meant at the end of the transatlantic slave trade, the continued oppression, isolation, and marginalization of said people was able to continue on the same basis. Because what people, a lot of people don't understand is that all this nomenclature to describe people who were lumped together from the continent whether it was of being Negroes or being colored or black, is that this is all very sophisticated legalistic terms because there is no nation called black. There is no nation called Negro and there is no nation that is called colored. And what that means is that if you are a people of no nation, then legally you being kidnapped or extraordinarily renditioned from a place does not violate international laws. In the very same way that 400 plus years later, when the United States inv invaded Iraq, 
the Geneva Convention prevents nations who are part of that convention from invading any country with a standing army, which we all know Iraq had, which is the reason why if you look at any mainstream media's propaganda or any articles referring to Iraq, they refer to Iraq's army as insurgents. That is not an accident. It is because if they refer to the Iraq army as soldiers, it means that America would have to concede that its invasion of Iraq was illegal, much like its kidnapping and brutalization of continental Africans alongside other European powers was also illegal. That being said, I want to make it very clear to people that while I am all for the remuneration and redistribution and uh, egalitarian uh, movement of wealth to marginalized communities like the diaspora, I'm very realistic in the fact that people need to understand that the entire system of fiat currency and capitalism was predicated on this 400-year atrocity. And so it's not very likely that whatever you are compensated with is going to equal the amount of wealth that was generated by the transatlantic slave trade. So I would say that we really, really should not waste time discussing reparations because it's never really going to happen or you're never going to be compensated in a way that even in any way supplements the amount of wealth that was generated in the West as a result of the slave trade. And what I would suggest otherwise is, fine, black people don't need reparations. How about we don't pay fucking tax? How about that? I would prefer to never have to pay tax again as a black person because I'm well aware that the institutions that I pay uh, towards with my tax money, whether it's law enforcement or medicine or government, have all acted against my interest. And so I think the best gesture would be for black people to live in the West like people live in Dubai and Qatar and not pay a penny of motherfucking tax. How about that? That's how I feel. Charlotte, thank you very much for your patience and listening to me rant uh, based on the opinions of uh, social media. I want to remind people again that if uh, the internet is a stream of consciousness, then sometimes social media can be a reservoir and reservoirs can also lead to sewers which contain cesspits of shit. So never take them too seriously. Ladies and gentlemen, people, however you choose to identify. Thank you very much for listening to DBQs. Please join the Patreon where we will be producing more and more nuanced and more and more novel uh, content to question everything. But in the meantime, based on these opinions, I just want to remind people again that the first step in changing your reality is to question it. And I just want to say thank you very much to you, Charlotte. Thank you for having me, Dane. An absolute pleasure. Let's do this again soon. And uh, thank you very much to our viewers and listeners. Please do uh, check out more episodes of Dame Baptiste Questions Everything and DBQs. And also check out damebaptiste.co.uk for more live dates and for more tour information. Thanks. You've been listening to Dame Baptiste Questions Everything, hosted by Dame Baptiste and myself, Howard Cohen. For more from Dane and myself, make sure you follow us on Instagram at DaneSnapTiste and at the Howard Cohen. You can now support us on Patreon. Just search DBQE Podcast and unlock ad-free content and you can watch the full-length video of the podcast. Please don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. If you have a question for Dane, make sure you send us a DM on Instagram at DBQE Podcast and we could feature you in our next episode. Thanks for listening, guys. And remember, question everything. Insanity Group. 
and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time.